This morning, America's first news starts right after this. How would you love a chance to save some money on car insurance? GEICO can help. Switch today and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com to get a rate quote and get started seeing how much you could save. From Compass Media Networks, this is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. She said, he said. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Kashenka. On this Wednesday, June 29th, glad you could be with us, and here's what we have for you this hour. A former White House aide says President Trump lunged at the wheel of his SUV while demanding to be driven to the Capitol during the riot. The Secret Service denies it. Three people arrested after the death of dozens of migrants in Texas. Two in custody are Mexican nationals who overstayed tourist visas. More calls to punish Russia after a deadly attack on a Ukrainian mall, plus the door opens for Finland and Sweden to join NATO. And trending in men's fashion, the under 40 crowd dressing to demonstrate they have money. We're in a moment where money is flowing to people that are younger um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, obviously generational wealth and, you know, inherited wealth and people that are a little bit more staid in how they comport themselves um, or how they spend their money, that still certainly exists. Jacob Gallagher at the Wall Street Journal on dressing rich with no subtlety. A one-time top aide to the White House has testified that then-President Trump had been told that some of his supporters were heavily armed when he urged them to march to the U.S. Capitol and sought to join them. Cassidy Hutchinson also testified yesterday before the House Select Committee that she was told that Mr. Trump wanted to be driven to the Capitol and wrestled for the steering wheel with the Secret Service when his order was refused. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Engel is Bobby Engel, head of Mr. Trump's Secret Service detail. She said her testimony was based on an account from Tony Ornato, an assistant director for the Secret Service. Meanwhile, Fox News and NBC News say Secret Service staffers are set to testify that Mr. Trump neither lunged at the wheel of the presidential vehicle nor in any way assaulted them to get them to take him to the Capitol. The president of Ukraine is demanding that world leaders punish Russia amid a surge in attacks on civilian targets in recent days. President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the U.N. Security Council, of which Russia is a permanent member, a day after a Russian missile strike killed at least 18 people at a mall in central Ukraine. He urged the Security Council to strip Russia of its permanent seat, label Moscow a state sponsor of terror, and establish a tribunal to investigate its forces for alleged war crimes in Ukraine through a translator. If any organization acted just like Russia, who is killing Ukrainians, if a country killed any peaceful people, that would definitely be recognized as terrorism. Such an organization become an enemy for all of humankind. French President Emmanuel Macron called the mall strike a war crime and said Russia cannot and should not win the war in Ukraine. Russia claims that the mall in the city of Kremenchuk was not in use. Three people are in custody following the death of 51 migrants who were among those found in a sweltering tractor trailer in Texas. Congressman Henry Cuellar, citing Homeland Security officials, 
said one of those arrested was the driver of the tractor trailer. The other two arrested were Mexican nationals who had overstayed their tourist visas. San Antonio Fire Chief Charles Hood. There was no signs of life with any of them, but the thing that um, we do know is unfortunately they suffered. Those people suffered. The, the heat was torrential. Uh, there was no air in that vehicle. There was no water. The A.C. was not running. An estimated 100 migrants were packed into the 18-wheeler in the South Texas border city of Laredo after they crossed the border illegally. They then passed a Border Patrol checkpoint before reaching San Antonio. Sixteen survivors were found and are being treated in area hospitals. Four of them are minors. Most of the victims were from Mexico, with seven from Guatemala and two from Honduras. Some of the nation's largest companies are pledging to cover employees' travel expenses to access abortion services, deciding an additional benefit for workers in a tight labor market outweighs the threat of legal action from states that have criminalized abortion. It's a story by Carl Evers-Hillstrom, business and lobbying reporter at The Hill, Carl, who's on board? If you look at all of the biggest U.S. companies, um, you know, most of them have made these announcements. So, you know, Amazon, Disney, you know, Nike, Comcast. Um, it, it's really a lot of the largest employers in the country have jumped onto this. Um, I would say, you know, a, a decent number of them announced this uh, before the ruling was officially unveiled, you know, sort of after that leak. Yeah. Uh, and then I think a lot of the rest of them got on board kind of uh, Friday after the ruling came out. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's most of the most of the biggest companies out there have uh, have announced this policy. All right. So you touched on something that these companies are going to have to deal with. And that is what about efforts in some of these Republican legislatures to go after some employers who do this? Yeah, certainly um, there is the threat of sort of legal retribution in some of these states. Um you know, there's been some Texas state lawmakers that have threatened Lyft and Citigroup with legal consequences if they don't um, reverse their policies to help pay for folks to travel to get a, a legal abortion. Um, and certainly um, under the Texas law, anyone can sue a person or company that aids uh, an abortion uh, after six weeks. So I think there's just some legal uncertainty here. You know, I think employers will rely on, on federal law that says that states can't kind of mandate what they put in their uh, employer-sponsored health plans. Um, but it's really unclear how those lawsuits would play out. So I think, you know, for any kind of big company, it's that uncertainty that uh, really worries them right now. You got me thinking, too. I understand the laws that are in place in some of the red states like Texas, but where is the, say, Republican approach to kind of uh, hands off my business, if you will, meaning my, my, my literal, my small business or my large business? Yeah, um, I think, you know, that, that kind of approach has kind of, ha hasn't been, you know, totally consistent, I think, especially in recent years. Um, you know, I think Republican legislatures have, have moved more towards, um, you know, cracking down on businesses if they, you know, are, are doing things that um, doesn't really align with uh, those politicians, you know, um, ideals or politics. Um, so, yeah, and, and certainly I think, you know, employers will be warning lawmakers that, hey, you know, if you implement some of this stuff, if you really go after employers for doing this, you, you could potentially lose jobs. Um, and that'll be kind of a big message to them. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how that plays out as sort of the pro-business message, um, you know, 
impacts how uh, policymakers actually approach this and how strongly they uh, actually enforce these uh, abortion bans. We're speaking with Carl Evers-Hillstrom, business and lobbying reporter at The Hill. His story is called Why Companies Think Paying for Abortion Travel is worth it. And back up for just one second. Is abortion itself typically covered by insurance, say separate from the travel costs here? Yeah, most um, most employer health plans um, cover abortion. Um, and, and certainly most of these big companies were already covering it. You know, the, of course, because um, abortion will be illegal or heavily restricted in most states, or at least half of U.S. states um, coming up here, uh, you know, there's some folks that are going to have to travel hundreds of miles um, to actually access a clinic. Uh, so, you know, this is just something new that I think employers felt like they had to add into their health plans, um, uh, you know, given the, given the uh, situation we're in right now. And Google, as you pointed out, at, I think at the tail end of your piece, has basically said, if you want to relocate to an abortion state, for lack of a better term, you can do that, no questions asked. Yeah, that's been really interesting. Basically, you know, Google reminded employees in an email right after the decision that if they wanted to leave one of these states that had banned abortion, they could do so, and Google would actually pay for them to leave uh, and relocate. Um, you know, I don't know that all companies are going to be able to afford to do that, but it goes along with the theme that, you know, these companies uh, really want to be able to retain their employees, uh, and they're willing to do, you know, whatever it takes. And certainly, you know, we've seen this massive growth in remote work as well um, and had a lot of folks moving down to some of these southern states to work there. So um, I think companies are, are, are trying to make sure that, you know, they'll, they'll do whatever they can to kind of back those employees, uh, you know, including even moving them out of the state if need be. Is there a dollar limit that uh, employees might place on travel expenses for an abortion? It's generally ranging it's sort of the general range we've seen is uh, upwards of four thousand dollars is the limit. Um, you know, Netflix was on the higher end; they were paying up to ten thousand dollars. So uh, it's a significant uh, amount of money that can go towards you know if you need to to drive a long distance. Nice, Carl. Carl Evers Hillstrom, business and lobbying reporter at The Hill. Twenty minutes after the hour on this morning, America's first news. Here's Jennifer Kashenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. According to new testimony that a former White House aide gave to the House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack, then-President Trump had been told that some of his supporters were heavily armed when he urged them to march to the U.S. Capitol and sought to join them in trying to stop Joe Biden's election win. Cassidy Hutchinson, a one-time top aide to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, responded to committee vice chair Liz Cheney. Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that Mr. Ornato told the president about weapons at the rally on the morning of January 6th? That's what Mr. Ornato relayed to me. Hutchinson's testimony also disclosed the purported extent to which Trump wanted to reach the Capitol to join his supporters. Number two. NATO is on a course to admit Finland and Sweden following an agreement with Turkey, a move that would add vast territory and new military abilities in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The two Nordic countries, which had long shunned joining the alliance, abruptly changed their stance following Moscow's attack on its neighbor, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. We meet uh, in the midst of uh, the most uh, serious security crisis we have faced uh, since the Second World War. Both countries applied for NATO membership a month ago, but Turkey had balked, taking exception to how Sweden has handled issues of Kurdish terrorism. 
number three. Voters went to the polls in seven states Tuesday. New York Governor Kathy Hochul defeated two rivals to secure the Democratic nomination. She will face Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin, who won a four-way race for the GOP nomination. This November, in the state of New York, one-party rule will end. Kathy Hochul will get fired. We will restore balance and common sense to Albany again. Democrats are heavily favored to retain the governor's mansion this fall. Serena Williams is unsure whether she will play at Wimbledon again, but says yesterday's first round exit has motivated her for future Grand Slams. The 23-time major winner lost in three sets to Harmony Tan of France in a gripping three-plus-hour match. Williams, who hadn't played in a year, hinted she may play at the U.S. Open, saying playing at home, and especially in New York, is always special. All right. Thank you, Jen. At Paris Men's Fashion Week, it was out with the old, in with the nouveau riche. Jacob Gallagher, men's fashion columnist at The Wall Street Journal, says designers and department store number crunchers had new money in their sights as freshly fortuned under 40-somethings have become critical to the business of luxury. Jacob, what's trending? You know, I think it's interesting. We, you know, fashion, like any industry, needs a customer. And, um, you know, there's, I always hear from commenters and readers, uh, you know, when we cover, you know, the higher fashion world, they'll say, who wears this stuff? And, you, you know, the, the answer is, you know, certainly people do wear this stuff. And, you know, but that, who those people are changes over time. And, you know, I think a lot of that is um, based on the whims or, or really the, kind of fluctuations of, of the market and kind of of where money is flowing to. And we're in a moment where money is flowing to people that are younger um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, obviously generational wealth and, you know, inherited wealth and people that are a little bit more staid in how they comport themselves um, or how they spend their money, that still certainly exists. But there's been a lot of chatter in the industry recently about how a lot of growth, a lot of um, revenue is based around younger people um, in the tech world, um, in the entertainment world, in the cryptocurrency world, that you know they spend heavy and they dress in a way that is perhaps a little bit more flamboyant, a little bit more flashy than things were in the past. Yeah, I was going to say, you found some of these designers who are saying to these young men, you have money, it's okay to show it. Yeah, you, you know, I think that this is perhaps tapping into a larger cultural shift in terms of how we think about, you know, nouveau riche had been kind of a derogatory term, of course, and people had kind of said, you know, that means that you're tasteless or that means that you're, you've just bought your wealth, if you will, and are now kind of showing it off in the raw, the quote unquote wrong ways. There's kind of a flip happening, frankly, and, and you know, I think that there could be you know, perhaps a lot more written about this in terms of why that flip is occurring. But, you know, old old money with its more kind of stayed, you know, quiet way of being, it, it's really different now. And now we're seeing new money in this kind of flashier way of being really kind of surging um, as, uh, as being more important. Mm. We're speaking with Jacob Gallagher, men's fashion columnist at the Wall Street Journal. His story is called Dressing Rich, No Subtlety Required. Uh, there was kind of a, a funny reference about kind of flashy attire, and you said something along the lines of, uh, it's like uh, for those who need a bulky sweater if it gets chilly on the private jet. 
You know, that that was something that I, I was actually was kind of remembering from years ago. There was a brand out of Los Angeles that I was speaking with, um, this brand called Lost Days. Um, they don't do a Paris runway show. They're kind of a smaller brand and, and, and you know, their, their clothes are really, really expensive. And But are things that are like jeans and sweaters and, um, you know, cashmere accessories and things of that nature. And I remember asking the designer, I said, well, who is your customer? And his answer very cleanly was, it's a guy that flies a lot. And I thought that was a very interesting description of kind of where wealth is right now and where this kind of sense of jet setting has really taken off. And it's not jet setting where you're in the Don Draper mode where you're wearing a suit and you've got maybe a neckerchief tied around your neck for when you go to California. It's this like kind of very streetwear driven, logo driven, you know, you want to be comfortable, you're hopping in and out of planes, you like fine fabrics. And, and again, I, I think that a lot of this does come from these kind of emerging industries, if you will, um, where there's a lot of money flowing around within them. Thanks, Jacob. Jacob Gallagher, men's fashion columnist at The Wall Street Journal. I agree with him. Who wears this stuff? 30 minutes after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. Want to eat healthier, but every supplement you've ever tried seems like the better it is for you, the worse it tastes, then you have to try AG1 from Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted more energy and better gut health. What I didn't expect? The taste is better than any supplement I've ever had. I drink it, like it says, before anything else when I wake up. I guzzle those 8 to 10 ounces before my coffee and start my day knowing I've already gotten the recommended daily intake of all the good fruits and veggies. There's definitely a mental boost knowing you've started the day off on the right foot. I tackle the day now with more confidence and energy. AG1, by the way, is not only lifestyle-friendly, it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. Try AG1. I love this product. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Gordon. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Gordon to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash Gordon. We don't take sides. We deliver the information you need to start your day. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Wednesday, June 29. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka, some of our top stories and headlines. A former White House aide says Trump demanded to be driven to the Capitol during the riot. The British defense secretary says Russia's Putin is a lunatic with small man syndrome. The CDC is expanding efforts to vaccinate people against monkeypox. Jeffrey Epstein associate Ghislaine Maxwell gets 20 years for sex trafficking. Angels pitcher Archie Bradley didn't get hurt during the brawl with the managers. He broke his elbow climbing out of the dugout to get there. And the latest member of Mensa is a two-year-old. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Indeed. Need to find quality candidates fast? You need Indeed, the end-to-end hiring solution. Attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Less than a year ago, a GOP Senate victory in deep blue Washington state would have been unthinkable. But now, Democrats are spending millions on advertising in several once-reliable Democratic strongholds, including Washington, as Republicans build national momentum and push for new Senate pickups. It's a story by Natalie Allison. 
national politics reporter at Politico. Natalie, what's happening in Washington? Well, what's happening is Washington is a state that has long been a Democratic stronghold. Patty Murray, she's had this seat since the early 90s. Um, Washington state hasn't elected a Republican to the U.S. Senate since the mid-90s as well, since 1994. And so what we're seeing is there suddenly is this closer than anticipated, at least according to polling, um, according to other measures, closer than anticipated race for the U.S. Senate in which Patty Murray is facing a newcomer Republican um, who's, who's trying to challenge her for this seat, who, according to Tiffany Smiley, the candidate's polling, has her within five points of Patty Murray. Which is interesting because I think you said in the story, Ms. Smiley has not yet started spending in, in earnest, that, I guess. That's right. And and what's notable here, another sign that even the Murray campaign realizes that they're, they're facing some kind of pressure, is that Patty Murray is already spending more than a million dollars um, on television ads just in the last few weeks alone. I Just before we started this interview, I, I got an alert that they just made another ad buy. Um, and this is months before the general election. Well, this is not uh, Patty Murray's first rodeo. She's been in uh, some election battles before. Are are they more concerned this time, say, than in elections past? She had a tough election in in 2010. There was the Tea Party wave that year, Um, a Republican. His name was Dino Rossi. He really gave her a run for her money. Ultimately, she won that race by five points. But, you know, in Washington state, in a state that has been reliably Democratic, that's a close race. And so um, there's there's sort of feelings that something like this could be similar. Certainly Tiffany Smiley's polling shows that there's a similar situation. Some other, other public polling has shown um, Patty Murray about 10 points ahead, nine points to 11 points, um, which still is, is is fairly close for a state that Biden won by nearly 20 points just two years ago. Hmm. We're speaking with Natalie Allison, national politics reporter at Politico. Um, so we have to introduce now, I guess, into the campaign's talk of the Roe v. Wade decision. How does that factor into this particular race in Washington state? Well, that could really be a boost for Patty Murray. Tiffany Smiley is is not one of these Republicans who um, is trying to go out of her way to be really careful about what she says or or trying to avoid using the term like pro-life. Tiffany Smiley says she's proudly pro-life. And that could be a problem for her, um, certainly as there's this renewed emphasis on abortion rights in the state. And Patty Murray, um, just on Friday alone, dropped two new ads, two separate ads about her fight for abortion rights, one of which was attacking Tiffany. Uh, the other was Patty Murray explaining to people she's going to do everything she can to continue fighting for that. So in a state like Washington, where you know the majority of people are very much in support of preserving these rights, um, this could potentially hurt this the momentum that Tiffany Smiley's found. Yeah, and then uh, obviously Tiffany Smiley's side says more people are focused on the economy. That's right. And then they, they're going to continue to talk about the economy. They're going to continue to talk about um, the failure of Democrats and President Biden to get the economy and inflation down, um, to get the cost of living down. Um, and that's something that Patty Murray is talking about, too. But she's she's putting even more of an emphasis at this point on the abortion issue. Yeah. All right. So in the weeks ahead of this uh, this August 4th primary, set that scene. Um, we're going to see lots of spending on ads, I guess, in, in the weeks ahead. Well, you know, there's no guarantee that Tiffany Smiley will be up on TV before that primary. Th- that primary is sort of just like a it's a trial run of sorts. So in Washington state. Um, they they don't call it ranked choice, but they basically have a, a primary where everybody's on the same ballot. The top two vote getters uh, move on to the November election. In this case, the top two vote getters will be 
Patty Murray and Tiffany Smiley. Um, so there's no real reason for Tiffany Smiley to need to spend a lot of money out of that primary. Okay. They're pretty much both guaranteed a spot. Um, but yeah, in a way, if for some reason it's the results of that are way too close, um, that could be a bad sign for Patty Murray or vice versa. If, if Patty Murray blows Tiffany Smiley out of the water, that could hurt her momentum as well. Thanks, Natalie. Natalie Allison, national politics reporter at Politico. If you missed anything, by the way, be sure to check out a podcast of today's show. It's available every day on our app called This Morning with Gordon Deal. Also available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Western nations are betting big on nuclear power decades after safety concerns pushed it out of favor. But there's one problem. As Matthew Dalton at the Wall Street Journal reports, they've lost their expertise in building reactors. Matt set the scene. Well, lots of governments are interested in nuclear power these days. Uh, they they want to build nuclear reactors um, for a few reasons. First, um, climate change. Nuclear power produces almost no greenhouse gases, and it's a steady source of electricity, unlike um, wind and solar power, which fluctuates with the elements. So it's, um, in theory, a good way to reduce your carbon dioxide emissions. If you can build a nuclear reactor and take off a coal-burning power plant or a gas-burning power plant, then that's um, that's going to be a real help. Secondly, with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, governments in Europe are getting more interested in building nuclear reactors um, to help wean themselves off Russian natural gas. Russia is the main supplier of European gas, about 40% of all of uh, European supplies. And the plan is after the invasion, they can't can't deal with Russia anymore. So um, relying more on nuclear energy is a way to do that. Like we threw out all the textbooks or something. Threw out all the textbooks. Uh, A lot of the people who had the expertise have either retired or died. Um, and, you know, the I guess the textbooks maybe are still there, but um, the know-how is gone. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the, that kind of know-how hasn't necessarily been passed on to the next uh, generation of people to, to keep building them. We're speaking with Matt Dalton, Paris correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. His piece is called Nuclear Power is Poised for a Comeback. The problem is building the reactors. Uh, So where you are, uh, France generates, what, like 70% of its electricity from nuclear power? Can we just go take lessons from uh, the French? Yeah, France has the world's highest dependence on nuclear energy. They built the reactors after the um, oil shocks of the 1970s. They decided they wanted to to get away from foreign sources of of oil anyway. Um, So, yeah, they built dozens and dozens of reactors in in a really short period of time. Most of their reactors are based on a design that they got from from the U.S., from the U.S. firm Westinghouse. Um, However, after Chernobyl, after Three Mile Island, like other countries, they largely stopped building the reactors. Um, Now, uh, over the last 15 years, they've been trying to build a new one um, in uh, Flamenville, which is a town right on the English Channel. And they've been having a um, just a terrible time of it. Uh, they've made mistake after mistake. That you know, it's about three times or four times as expensive as they thought building the reactor oh, wow. would be. It's near, nearly thirteen billion euros, and it was supposed to be you know four billion something like that. Um, finish up too, because the U.S. is trying to build a couple. Right? Isn't Georgia Power behind a couple of these? Georgia Power is uh, building two reactors. Um, South Carolina. 
uh, or also ordered two reactors, but they canceled the project because it was becoming too expensive and taking too long. Um, Georgia Power, likes the South Carolina utilities, were ordering uh, their reactors, um, parts of the reactors to be made at a facility in Louisiana that um, had had a lot of problems with welding also. They, the, the idea was that they were going to um, build parts in a factory in Louisiana and kind of in an effort to keep the costs down and then ship them to Georgia. Turns out that the parts that this factory built were um, really poorly made. Uh, they had to all be redone. Um, and that just set things back from the b- very beginning. And there's just been one thing going wrong after another. Thanks, Matt. Matthew Dalton, Paris correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. How would you love a chance to save some money on car insurance? GEICO can help. Switch today and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com to get a rate quote and get started seeing how much you could save. Glad you could be with us and welcome into Wednesday. Nine minutes in front of the hour on this morning, America's First News. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. In testimony before the House Committee investigating the attacks on Capitol Hill, a former aide to then-President Trump's Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, portrayed Trump as an enraged commander-in-chief in the weeks surrounding the riot. Cassidy Hutchinson told the committee a furious Trump lunged at his own Secret Service agent, threw plates, and refused to help his vice president as throngs of angry rioters chanted, Hang Mike Pence. She was asked how she felt about the riot. It was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie. Trump took to his social media page yesterday to distance himself from the former aide, claiming he hardly knew her. Number two. At least 51 people have died and several others remain hospitalized after an abandoned tractor trailer was found in San Antonio amid sweltering heat in what officials are calling the nation's deadliest smuggling incident on record, San Antonio Fire Chief Charles Hood. We're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there. Um, None of us come to work imagining that. Initially, 46 people were found dead, but the death toll rose yesterday. Number three. The FDA's panel of independent vaccine experts recommend new COVID-19 shots that target the Omicron variant this fall when public health officials are expecting a new wave of infections. It's the first time the panel has proposed the vaccine makers modify the shots to target a different variant. The FDA will likely accept the committee's recommendation and authorize a vaccine change. The Michigan Supreme Court has canceled a lower court judge's criminal indictments against former officials stemming from their handling of lead contamination in water pipes in the city of Flint that led to illness and death of residents. In a six-to-nothing ruling, the court said improper processes tainted the criminal charges following an investigation into the water crisis. Where's the world's oldest living tree? A scientist in Chile says new research indicates that crown belongs to a Patagonian cypress in southern Chile, a gnarled giant almost 100 feet tall and 13 feet wide. He says the tree is 5,000 years old. The current Guinness World Record is held by a pine growing in the White Mountains in central California. That tree began growing more than 4,850 years ago. Okay, I'm calling bogus on this. Why? Are you telling me that they can tell the difference of 150 years? Yes, these when, days. I, they when, say they can. When considering thousands of years of tree age. <laughs> I don't know. Guinness is biased. Thanks for being with us. A toddler from Kentucky has become the youngest member of American Mensa. There have been other two-year-olds in Mensa, but none are younger than Isla McNabb at this point. Isla's parents always had a hunch 
She was really smart. Just after her second birthday, her parents, Jason and Amanda, found their home littered with little plastic alphabet letters. Remember those things? They were everywhere. In front of the chair, the letters literally spelled out C-H-A-I-R. On the ice maker, magnetic letters spelled I-C-E. In the kitchen, Amanda looked down and felt M-O-M spelled out next to her. Well, last month, little Isla scored in the 99th percentile of intelligence for her age, earning the girl from Crestwood, Kentucky, a spot in the prestigious International High Intelligence Organization. Founded in England back in 1946, Mensa has about 145,000 members, by the way, from more than 90 countries. More than a third of those members come from the U.S. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.